the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 165. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now on to the show. Good morning from the Unruffled Podcast. I am so excited that you guys have hung with me this month and let me do this author series without Tammy. I, it has really thrilled me to no end. And um, I'm so excited to close out this month with uh, a book and two authors that I am thrilled to share with you today. Um, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about each of them. Jardine LeBaire is a novelist. Her novels are, or her novels include here, Kitty Kitty and White Fur. And she's also a screenwriter who just released a film she co-wrote called Endings, Beginnings with director Drake Dormus, starring Shailene Woodley, whose character has just given up alcohol. She is from New York, spent a blissful decade in Austin, and now and lives in now in LA. She's been sober since January 8th, 2013. Jardine can be found at Large Jardine LeBaire Projects on Instagram and at uh, www.jardinelebaire.com. And Amanda Air Ward is the author of eight novels, including the best. Uh, the New York Times bestseller, The Jet Setters, which was also Reese Witherspoon's book club pick in March and features characters who are trying to stay sober on a cruise ship. Amanda's work has been optioned for film and television and published in 15 countries. You can find out more about Amanda on Instagram and on Twitter at Amanda Air Ward and at www.amandaward.com. They also have an Instagram account for their book, The Sober Lush, which is at Sober Lush. Welcome to the show, Jardine and Amanda. 
Thank you for having us. We're so happy yes. to be here. Glad to be here. Okay. I love this book. <laughs> I read the whole thing and I am so excited about this book, you guys. I, I don't know if you know this about me. The listeners probably do, but I am a sober lush. Totally. <laughs> I mean, Congratulations. To totally. I, I have seriously have somewhere written in my journal from very early in sobriety that was basically a manifesto that said that if I could not maintain some modicum of fun or adventure, humor, subversiveness, it was not worth doing. And I'd just rather be drunk. I'm, and, and so I, I mean, you wrote this book. I, for me, I wish I would have had an early sobriety. And so I cannot wait until it hits the streets. Um, so Amanda and I know each other casually, but I would love to hear how the two of you met. I would love to tell that story. Okay. Um, because I am the luckiest here in that I started to build the Sober Lush lifestyle pretty early on in my sobriety. Um, I had been trying to get sober off and on probably since I was 14 and realized that 14-year-old <laughs> blacking out should probably think about her drinking. But I had, in the last year of my drinking, I had started going to some AA meetings. Um, everything people said resonated with me, but I had the same feeling you're talking about, Sandra, in that I it felt kind of grim. Like I was mm. going to go to the same parties and not drink and then go to these meetings where I hadn't yet made friends. And I knew that's how it had to be, but I hoped for something more. And then I was very lucky to be introduced by a mutual friend, Kathy Blackwell, who is an editor at Texas Monthly. When I told her I was quitting drinking, she said, you really should meet my friend Jardine. And I did. And I remember the first time I went into Jardine's beautiful home and we sat and drank coffee and listened to records and I snuggled with her dog and, you know, it's that one of those magical golden Austin afternoons. Mm. And I thought, this is what I want. This is the life I want. There's no booze here, but there's so much abundance and beauty and connection and fun. And so through the course of our friendship, we talked about how you can build a life of abundance and sobriety. And then we started writing the book. Oh my gosh. I love that story. Um, and you know, you touched on, we usually start the show by asking our guests how they came to sobriety and you touched on yours a little bit, Amanda, at the beginning of the book, you both share us a swath of your story. So I, I wanted to ask a, a, like a specific question to each of you. Um, Jardine, you describe yourself as, as this young woman who had like this really, like a lust for a meaningful life and then alcohol sort of crept in and built like this wall of separation um, until, you know, you weren't, you were like going through the motions then and you weren't really tasting that nectar anymore, but you describe a scene where you're at a bar for like many, many hours. And I, I mean, I totally that brought back like so many memories of like those happy hours that 
went on and on and on and just didn't end until like the sun was coming up. But you said something that like triggered this memory in me that um, it was like this longing, you know, that like if I stay for just one more drink, if I stay here for one more hour, then like something magical is going to happen. Can you describe that feeling a little bit? What you were, what you were trying to describe there? Sure. I think first of all, I love that you said a lust for meaning in the, in the beginning, like that did definitely um, describe my teenagerhood, I think, to some degree. I was, you know, lustful for meaning. And I think that same thing followed me through my adult years. And um, definitely those chasing the dragon nights were built around this idea that I went out and I started drinking that evening or that afternoon or whenever to connect to people. And especially by the end of my, you know, 22 year drinking life, that was not what was happening. Um, but it was, it was the insanity of thinking that it might still tonight connect me to somebody else. Um, and so I just constantly set down that road, looking and looking and looking, knowing deep down that that wasn't what was going to happen. But I think I was also looking for what I always think of as delivery from the ordinary. So it's that idea Mm, of like, mm -hmm. I can get out of this, you know, day-to-day existence and somehow find some like little trap door or something. You know what I mean? Mm, mm -hmm. Some some sort of secret passageway to a kind of heightened existence, which I think did happen in my early drinking. Right. Early drinking and drugs, they, they do deliver you from an ordinary existence. So. Right. You get a glimpse of it or you mm-hmm. wouldn't have chased it. Exactly. Right? And, but then the irony is, you know, as you're running from the mundane of life, you, it just becomes so mundane. It, it compounds <laughs> the mundane. It's like nothing could be more mundane than two days hungover. You know what I mean? Right. It's amazing that that, that whole sequence of, desires and outcomes. Yeah. Yes. I, I really, I mean, in just a few short paragraphs, I related to so much there. And then Amanda, you tell a story about, about, um, Jade earrings and losing a a pair of these like precious Jade earrings that end up being sort of a significant turning point for you. And I mean, I kept thinking that could have been like pants or integrity, you know, like anything really I'm sure could have been, could have been that, could have been that catalyst. But, um, but you end that, you end that piece with um, a really sweet couple of paragraphs about going for an evening run with your son. Can you describe that? a little bit for us because it's just so sweet and profound. I'd love to. And an interesting aside there is that originally the story about losing my earrings, and I I am proud to say I definitely hit a bottom, but I never lost my pants. (laughs) (laughs) So I could say that. Um, I I have lost my my integrity many times, but as far as I know, never lost my pants. But I did... um, Event, that essay originally ended with, I have never found my jade earring. 
and then the story about the run with my son was a different essay and it was in the editorial process that I, I realized it would and I think Jardine this might have been your idea that combining the two allows it to end on a, a more hopeful note you know mm -hmm. what happened after that what all that um, pain and do and so that essay now ends with um, a night that my son came, my son who's now 16, he was 15 I think when I wrote the essay, came into our bedroom and said, hey, I'm going for a run. And he likes to run at night. We live near Zilker Park and he likes to run at night. And he said, mom, wanna come? And I had never gone on a run with him. Um, I was always a few glasses into Chardonnay, you know, vaguely, blurrily reading a book at that time. Mm -hmm. And sober, I thought, well, why not? Yeah, I'll go. And I, you know, threw off the covers and got on some sneakers and I went running with him and I didn't get very far with him. He's very fast track star, but I was outside and the moon was out and he said, look, I'll, I'll run and catch up to you. And he started running ahead of me and I just started walking and had this magical you know, as we said, it was like a portal to a, a different world. There were the stars, there was my son, he was gonna run back to me and see me there with him. And um, I just thought, this is what it was all for. All mm. that pain that brought me to this piercingly beautiful place. Oh, I love that. And I, I very much related to that too. Last summer, my kids and I started sneaking out in the evenings to go dip into Barton Springs as the, sun was, as the sun was setting. And it just felt so decadent, just magical. And again, something I never would have been able to do before. I wouldn't have been able to drive the 12 miles in the evening and that, that just was not an option. Um, so I just loved that story. I so appreciated it. Okay, so let's talk about the chapters of this book. So they're like divine transgressions, eating, coping, playing, creating. Um, and you both just offer these adventurous ideas um, like, you know, skinny dipping and rock climbing. But then there's also these very practical ones like what to drink and how to date in sobriety and how to navigate a party. Um, and you, you end it even with recipes. It's just so good. It's practical anecdotal advice. It's, you know, not prescriptive. And um, I, I, I think I would love just to hear from each of you, what were your favorite essays to write? Or maybe it was like the whole chapter that you enjoyed most working on. Ooh, that's such a good question. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely loved the chapters that surprised me. You know, Amanda and I have talked a lot about how because this book was born from conversations with each other, the book now is kind of like this archive of, of the conversations that we had in the very beginning that kind of gave birth to the book, but then also it's an archive or map of the process of figuring out what have we discovered? What else do we want to discover? So um, I loved the chapters that we kind of joined forces on like meditation and 
honey. Like I've always been obsessed with honey and, um, I loved that chapter yeah. so much. Oh, you did. Yes. And so that was a beautiful example of like, I've been obsessed with honey. I started buying different kinds of honey and tasting different kinds of honey. And then Amanda <laughs> told me she, um, has a beehive in her backyard and started talking to me about the lessons she's learned from watching her husband and sons and daughter, you know, keep this beehive. And we kind of joined our ideas and recognized what kinds of delicious, beautiful things they, these experiences had revealed to us. So the, the chat, there were a bunch of chapters like that, that weren't just a pleasure to write, but they were literally revelatory to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just learning from each other, like and yeah. from the collaboration from the two of you. Yeah, it was a really organic um, sort of mentoring each other and and revealing different parts of life to each other. It was it was nice to have company because, particularly because early sobriety for me was super lonely. So this was a really beautiful um, chance to redeem that kind of. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting, Sandra, we had a, the, the book was laid out in different ways. It changed as it came into being. We sold it originally thinking it would be a year. So it started in January and then had things to deal with February. And then as we started connecting with people around the world and sobriety, um, it's, it, it, we thought, oh, well, Thanksgiving doesn't, you know, dealing with Thanksgiving doesn't necessarily transcend everything and then we started moving the chapters around and adding things and so it was really, really incredible i remember last summer i had a list of things to do and sort of assigned we had assigned them to ourselves and i never would have i never would have gone and gotten my tarot cards read. oh i loved that and i example. know who angeliska is yes <laughs> oh my gosh and jardine had gone to her had met mm, with her mm -hmm. and so not only wouldn't I have gone if it wasn't work, quote work, because I'm very hard on myself. I have very little free time and I have to be working. But I mean, as I said, or it, as I said, when I wrote the chapter, I didn't believe in tarot and yet believed too much. In right. <laughs> I was scared. So um, I remember texting Jardine outside Angeliska's house and saying, oh gosh, I can't go in. And Jardine saying, you can do it. And so it was this wonderful um, camaraderie. And I went in and I was terrified and it was amazing. She's incredibly gifted, Angeliska, I think. And I've looked at that reading many times. And then I started reading more about tarot and finding other people and got my own deck. And it just is something I never would have done really right. you know, in my old life. And so I loved writing that chapter. And then we certainly didn't want to do a how-to book in any, in any sense of the word. And it is not. Yes. Because there are so many of those right. and they're incredible. And, you know, Annie Grace has tips that will help you. And she's a scientist who understands these things, but the chapter, um, the vanish was something that changed my oh, life. The realization I... that you, <laughs> you could go to a party and leave at any time because for a while I just didn't go to any parties. I thought, okay, that part of my life is over because I might have to leave. And, you know, sort of the pregame of how to make a party work for me was so exhausting that sometimes I thought I had actually stopped going to parties late in my drinking because I knew I couldn't handle my drinking. So it was, I had, my world had become smaller and smaller to keep moderating. And so it was such 
a change to know I could go to any party. Um, I would bring my own car if I went with my husband and he wanted to stay, that was fine. It didn't, you know, didn't predicate on what he wanted or what my kids wanted. I could just, I, I was just learning to hear the voice in my head that would say, you know, I don't want to be here. And it didn't have to be an insult to anybody. It didn't have to be a judgment on anyone. I was allowed to just say, and I'm walking out. And I write about the time I walked out. It was Eberly. I was at the bar at Eberly and at a friend's birthday party. And I just wanted to leave. And so I did. And mm. nobody noticed. Right. You know, and nobody And cared. the party went on. It and didn't like come to a crashing halt or anything. It just, yeah. I know. Isn't that just so empowering and but it it sounds so strange when you give your like when you somebody writes you a permission slip to do that right <laughs> and it helps too when you have sober friends in your back pocket um i'm a right. part of an online group uh called the bfb on Facebook that I love. And I, I'm constantly posting on that page, you know, I'm in the bathroom at a party. I, I don't know if I can handle it. And everybody says, check in in an hour, go home or whatever. And it's just wonderful knowing you're not alone, as Jardine said. Mm, yeah. And I love that you renamed it the vanishing. You guys, I, I've called <laughs> this the French exit forever. And, uh, and, but I love that you call it the vanishing and I'm using that from now on. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, so many, so many things I've done. I've, I've done a few things that wasn't in the book, you know, like I, I went, I went all the way through the improv levels last year because oh, that's great. I've always wanted to do it. My kids do improv and I thought, what the fuck am I waiting for? When am I going to ever do this? If not now, when, Uh um, so I love it. And, the, and again, going back to that essay on honey, I, I loved that so much because I have recently just discovered the many varieties of honey mm. and have been so delighted by that. Um, I could also write an essay about olive oil, same, the same essay, mm-hmm. but about olive oil or about soft cheese and figs. You are a sober lush. I am. And can we talk about that for a minute? Because I want to know how you guys came up with the title of the book, because that word, you know, can have, can make people feel a little crunchy, right? Like, oh, it's got stigma attached to it or whatever. But I love how you reclaimed that word. I think that's what it was. It was a reclaiming of it. And, and it, and it does have like purely positive, like lush as in luxe and plush, you know, connotations. And then it does, it does have the stigma and the illicitness. And it was both, I think both sides of it that we wanted to reclaim because I think one of my gravest fears in, in becoming sober and I, and I knew for many years that I would be happier sober and I still resisted it because I just thought that all that fun, naughty, illicit energy would also suddenly be out of reach. So I wanted to reclaim like the plush, beautiful, um, peaceful, you know, undamaged part of myself, but I really wanted to keep up that, that rebellious, you know, I'm gonna stay up too late, I'm gonna break rules kind of energy too. So I think the word holds both of those, realms of sobriety for me. Yeah. 
And yeah. also the, the idea of a lush life. Right. Like, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is normally associated with, you know, intoxicants. <laughs> and we're just finding other ways to access that lush feeling. I like the word too, the sound of it. I do yeah. too. I do too. And I, I mean, I would jokingly call myself a lush all the time when I was, when I was drinking. And so, yeah, to take that back, that word, um, I just love it. Um, so what is it? And I have like explored this in my own journals, but what is it about drinking like to take the edge off, but while also longing to be on the edge <laughs> because that's where life <laughs> lives. Good. That is so interesting. I, what a way to put it. I think for me, you know, on the exterior, my life is very staid. You know, I'm a mom of three kids and somehow I equated my inner wild side with someone who drank whiskey. You know, and so when I didn't drink whiskey, I thought, well, I'm not fun anymore. I'm not wild. I am not allowed to have an escape um, from being a mom. And that was really a hard thing for me. Um, And often, so the arsenic hour is a chapter um, that I wrote about that, about how you're also allowed to walk away from your duties from making dinner, from giving baths, that sometimes reclaiming yourself means making a space to be just alone. For me, it's being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a so, comment on your, on your skills or... Right, or, which is really hard because a lot of us have sort of identified with, you know, either you're a whiskey drinker or you're someone who's incredibly successful or you're uh, an amazing athlete, a sort of thank a mom who can always mom at all hours of the day. And for me, remaining sober has meant letting go a lot of a lot of those uh, perfectionist tendencies and even the things I identified with. Like I said, being one of the moms who drinks, being one of the moms who can drink a lot. It was sort of something I was proud of. And I thought I wasn't, I thought I would be really boring. I would be perceived as really boring. And what changed for me was the realization that that had to not matter to me, how I was perceived anymore. And I had to surround myself with people who, who saw me as wonderful, even when I was sober. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm saying, I'm answering this. No, well. you, you, you did. You definitely did. Yeah. Perception. I mean, God, that is the key to so many locks that have to do with, you know, a beautiful sober life for me too. Amanda and I have had such fruitful conversations, realizing how many things we thought were kind of internal issues and then realizing it had to do more with who were we trying to please and, you know, maintaining status, maintaining an identity. Um, And that idea of, being on the edge again i think when i was 18 breaking certain rules with drinking etc did feel wild by the time i was 38 it felt as run down and ordinary and like a sheep in the pack because of the way i did it it no longer had anything to do with exploring the edge you know Mm -hmm. it was just this old idea of this is what it is to be wild or rebellious and so such a huge part of the book and 
my sobriety has been redefining like what is actually being on the edge because I still want that Mm -hmm. and to me it has so much more to do now with um, being vulnerable and meeting new people it has to do with art it has to do with writing and taking chances creative chances Um, it's it's looks a lot different than than what it did what I would have said it was 10 years ago and so much more fulfilling, right? Just so much more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah um, sure. I would love to, for each of you, I would love to hear a little bit about maybe like, because you've both been writers for a long time and you, you mentioned at the beginning of the book, kind of that, that, that romanticism that ties alcohol and, and the act of writing and being a writer. And um, I would love for each of you to tell me if getting sober um, changed your relationship to your, to the act of writing. Was there, were there things that you had to work through to do it differently? Um, Or maybe you were, maybe you didn't drink and write. Um, for me, it changed everything in the best possible way. So I, I never really was a drinker while I was writing, but I really believed that like the, again, going back to like, what is wildness? What is being on the edge? What is being an explorer? What is being a, a journey person? You know, that all had to do with a drinking life. So I thought that, you know, by drinking, I was creating the kind of psyche that then could do work but all I was doing especially actually for all my years probably but it got harder as I got older and hangovers got harder what I really was doing was constantly interrupting my momentum and so I've learned a huge part of writing for me because I find writing really difficult and it's hard to get myself to sit down and do it Um, a huge part of it is keeping momentum and keeping morale and not having to have like three days off because I'm super shredded from some crazy vendor, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing I can rely on myself to sit down every day. Not that I'll create something amazing that day, but I'll sit down and do work. That sense of trusting myself oh, has yeah. made me so much more capable of taking bigger risks and um, also just creating more output, just being able to create more work, collaborate with more amazing people. It's, it's been magnificently beneficial to, to my writing. Mm. I would say the same. I mean, I think a lot of the tools that I've learned in sobriety have helped my writing and I can think of two off the top of my head. And one is that, as I was saying before, I've learned to not need everyone to think I'm amazing all the time. I've learned how to stop people pleasing so much. And so I think for a lot of my work, I've been trying to impress uh, like grad school colleagues or um, I just had been trying to 
show everybody the kind of writer I was. And then with the Jet Setters, I was having fun. I was writing a novel set on a cruise ship. It was almost as if I was saying, you know, F you, I'm never going to win the Pulitzer. I'm just going to do, I'm going to go crazy and explode all my humor and honesty and just go for it and stop trying to prove anything to anybody. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that that book has done, you know, has done really well. I think it was, um, I was scared in a way to say, yeah, this is who I am. I love cruises. <laughs> I love cheesy cruise ships. I do. And, and to write that book, I think, you know, there was a big part of me that really wanted to go on a Mediterranean cruise. And I thought, okay, I need to get a number of bestsellers so that someday I can take my children to Europe. And getting sober sort of upended all of those logical chains for me. So I thought it's I actually made a vision board and I thought oh I want to take my kids to Europe why do I have to have three bestsellers to do that why can't I just go and then if I set a book there it's a tax write-off and so you know I sort of just started getting what I wanted and um because I couldn't quiet the voice that said I want this I want to be on a you know cr giant cruise ship balcony looking as we approach you know the port of Marseille so I just started getting what I wanted and going for it. And then the other piece for me was um, carving out the space I needed. I had always tried to do this for my writing, but again, sobriety has taught me that what I need to stay calm, to stay focused. And as Jardine said, you just have, for one thing, a lot more usable hours with your brain. And so rather than thro throwing a day or two a week of creative work away with hangovers, I was able to work on those days and also able to ask for what I needed and claim the time that I needed and value what made me happy. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that is, <clears throat> yeah, those are all, yes, learning to trust yourself, creating, you know, boundaries, especially if you, yeah, because, you know, working from home to you, you just get encroached upon all the time, <laughs> your, your time and your space get, you know, and so being able to, with a sober and clear head say, no, this is what I need. This is, this is what I need to work. And, and I love Amanda that you um, just go book yourself into a motel or a CD hotel. Yes, I do. A while and to write. I mean, I have a specific example for my latest novel where we were going to visit some relatives over the holidays and I posted on my um, sober group, the BFB, and said, what should I do? I, I have all this work to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it with all these relatives around and I don't know about the drinking and who's going to be drinking. And, and I got all sorts of ideas and sort of with, you know, absolute trepidation and terror said to my husband, um, I'm going to stay at the motel down the street by myself, the Matterhorn Motel. I booked two weeks over the holidays while I was working on the Jet Setters. And my husband was, thank goodness, incredibly supportive because he had a lot of family going on and he didn't, you know, I think it was good for him that I said, this is what I need. I'm going to take myself out of the situation. And I went over for dinner and my kids came over in the afternoon to use the hot tub mm -hmm. and I lived at the Matterhorn Motel. And it sounds like a small thing, but for a mom to say that is, definitely there were people in the family who said, 
okay, they're getting divorced. (laughs) I would would think, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. But instead I worked on my novel every day and it became my wonderful vacation too. Oh, I love that. I hope that everyone gets a little bit of inspiration from that story, especially mothers that, yes, that is a great, that is a great story. Even for a night, sometimes I just go to a motel for the night to work um, or not to work. Right. (laughs) And it's just sitting at the Crown Plaza on I-35, you know, on a Thursday night is just, to me, (laughs) feels as exhilarating as four martinis. Yes. Four martinis is not exhilarating, but... (laughs) No, I know what, I know what you mean. Right. Just indulging in the bathtub and HBO for an evening. And yes, it, it sounds wonderful. That is something I haven't done, but that is on the list. Um, what was it like then? I, you touched on it a little bit, but, um, how, how was it to collaborate? What have, what did you, what have you learned from collaborating? Will you ever do it again? Is this something you're like, well, okay, I'll start I was by saying, I don't want, it's hard for me to write by myself now because it was such a joy to have oh, I love it. Jardine to talk about things with beforehand to, we have really complementary skills, I think. And it's absolutely incredible to say, well, we, we're, we've been writing some essays. We just finished an essay that, um, is going to be on lit hub and I started it and then hit a wall and just sent it to Jardine and said, I hit a wall, what do you got here? And so she would take it and run with it and send it back to me. And it's so fun. And now it feels really lonely to write novels by myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was such a, um, again, I think sobriety can be lonely. We definitely set out to write this book. We even imagined it like as something as a as a talismanic thing that could keep someone company also in early sobriety um and i just grew so much like not just through what we taught each other but through being able to rely on this other amazing human with this heart and soul and mind that you know just arrived and and met me at the table every day. So it was an, it was a kind of extension of like, I can trust myself. And then the collaboration was kind of like, and I can also trust this person. And the whole project was, was um, built on daily trust and, and handing this project back and forth to each other. It was, it was a really, it was a kind of game changing um, experience, I think. It's definitely unique. I mean, I have worked with other people and not had a good time. Right. So I was going to say it's, it's, it, it is unique. It is unique when it works and cause it doesn't always work. And um, so maybe someday you both will write a book about collaboration because I think that um, it's a skill that not everybody knows how to indulge in. And um, that's a brilliant idea. That's what yeah. Idea. That's actually, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what we've been circling, but that is an incredible idea. Well, and I say that because somebody, uh, because Tammy and I have worked on this podcast for three years now, and um, a friend of ours, Erin Shaw Street, who is also a writer, um, she presented me with that idea. She said, you know that that, that's a gift that you guys have, that you can work together, That's Mm -hmm. and you can collaborate and produce 
um, work together, uh, that's a skill. And I don't know if you know that, but it is. And um, so, yeah, that's, so I'm just sharing that with you too. It's not everyone, um, I think uh, people are hungry to learn how to do it. And um, not everyone knows that. It's not intuitive. You know, it's an interesting thing in recovery too. I really prefer now dealing with people in recovery because right. we've all worked very hard to learn how to communicate, to learn. Like one wonderful thing about working with Jardine is that I can say anything and know that she knows how to take care of herself. You mm, know, right. I don't have to. And, and that for me is so wonderful to say, you know, I know Jardine has a support network. She has the tools. She's a really healthy, strong person and we can handle anything together, but also on our own. It's really nice to be able to, to communicate with people in recovery in general who know how to handle themselves. You don't have to worry about them when you get off the phone and constantly check in because they can take care of themselves. Right. Yeah. It's like you both have the same baseline and Kind of and you like, can be honest and say, I mean, just mm-hmm. this morning I was telling Jardine, I just, I'm kind of, you know, there's some things I'm overwhelmed right now, which is something you can't say to a lot of work colleagues. Yeah. But the fact that we don't have to keep up pretenses, it just, it's amazing to watch how that builds up over days and then months and then years into a friendship with such a rock solid base because you, yeah. you know we've given each other space to be who we are and there's been a minimum of pleasing each other for you know just the purpose of pleasing each other there's just been a lot of honesty and and yeah i think the key is is um trusting each other to to be healthy and to have those to have those networks set up it's so amazing um how again Sobriety has so much to do with substances and also has nothing to do with substances. It has so much to do with how we take care of our daily lives and, you know, how we, how we communicate and how we love our friends and um, family and draw lines, all that stuff. It's amazing. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Which you have, again, a lot of ideas on how to, you know, seek connection and maintain connection and how to take care of yourself in extravagant ways and not so extravagant ways. Um, I love this book and I just, here's another thing I love. You both are, and you both mentioned it, but I'm just going to say that you're both um, getting to experience quite a bit of success right now individually with your own projects and just to have this book come out at the same time um, that celebrating sober life is just so you couldn't have timed it any better (laughs) well it's really you know one thing that we had a talk with Sarah Heppela who's another incredible writer she wrote blackout which is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite books and she's an incredible person and One wonderful thing she brought up was that when a lot of us got sober, the the memoirs uh, available were male, primarily. Um, Pete Hamill's A Drinking Life comes to mind. And a lot of the stories were war stories that had maybe a male perspective, a perspective of a certain kind of bottoming out. Um, I know for myself, I 
probably kept drinking for years because I never really found my kind of recovery story. And now there's an explosion of these incredible memoirs, you know, from Holly to Sarah's book. And, and it's, it's an honor to be a part of maybe the changing face of sobriety. You know, maybe some young women now will look to some of the books available on the market um, and your podcast, Sandra, and your creativity, and they'll be able to say, oh, that's a story that makes sense to me. That's the narrative I want a part of, and I get it, and it speaks to me. And so that I find to be so thrilling. The thought that maybe 14-year-old me would have found a different book and sobered up right then and there and known I didn't have to go through the next 30 years of moderating. That there were other stories that could end in a successful career, you know, other ways to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the fact that you both really honed in on the sober life too. I mean, I think, you know, being a 12 step, you hear a lot of what it was like and, you know, there's a lot of memoirs that focus on that as well. And some people call those the drunk log, whatever. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be derogatory. Um, and, and those are important stories to hear, but um, I, I wanted to be inspired right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so important to talk about, and that's what we try to do with this podcast as well. We like to focus on how are you thriving in sobriety? Let's hear that part because um, you're right. I think it takes all of those stories, but um, I, I think they're important for inspiration. Well, and I love your, I mean, I follow you on Instagram and I love your beautiful silk kimonos. And I think, oh yeah, that's who I want to be. You know, that's a, that's a silver lush right there. And we've done some talking about our Instagram and, you know, yeah, it's wonderful to also show the other side of the pain because it's worth it and it's beautiful and it's filled with silk kimonos and honey. (laughs) (laughs) I think too, it's, you know, in the memoirs that really catapulted me forward, like Blackout, they were so textural and visceral and, you know, they weren't vague, abstract lists of principles, which I also need and rely on. You know, I I do like things boiled down to steps and principles and, but I also love to be taken on a journey with someone. and that helped me understand my own crisis in drinking. And I think it was so fun to write this book and take the same approach, like making a visceral, evocative kind of come with us and feel it and be inspired um, kind of report from, from the other side, from the what we call the technicolor side of, of sobriety to see if that you know, can be in addition to the platitudes and the sayings and the, and the more kind of like abstract and hardcore stuff that we lean on. Um, this can be kind of the, 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 you know, icing on top. Right. Attraction rather than promotion, as they Mm. say, or I, I even thought of that, you know, that rule that you always hear your first day of a writing workshop or whatever is show don't tell and you're just yeah the way that you show um what that looks like in this book is just so 
It's so perfect. Okay. So before we get to your um, three things in your Unruffle toolbox, where, so we're recording this on, uh, on a Tuesday at the end of May. When can people buy the book? I mean, when does it hit the streets? Um, or is it still in pre-order phase? Well, it it's, comes out the streets, you know, ho hopefully there will be bookstores on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> June 2nd, right, Jardy? June 2nd, yeah. And I think there's a bunch of places you can pre-order if you um, go to our Instagram at the Sober Lush, we have a pre-order link there. And the book is also listed on the Penguin Random House site. And they have a bunch of links if you want to support indies, which is a great idea right now. Right. Um, that'll take you to where you can order from independent bookstores online. Like book people, possibly, right? Like and we're people. having an event with book people <gasps> on Zoom with Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's, moderated by Sarah Heppola, who wrote Blackout. So that oh, is good June. Good grief. That's what is a it, party. June 3rd? That's June 2nd. So that's June our day 2nd. of, um, yeah. I will. I'm so there. I'm so there. So, you know, we I have to post that. I, <laughs> yes, we will definitely post that. So a couple of things about that. First of all, so one of the things that I discovered in early sobriety was book signings. That was something I had never experienced before mm -hmm. until I got sober. Now I know you guys are both authors, so that's your world, but I, the first book signing that I went to, um, I was probably six months sober and I was like, Oh, this is my new activity because you know, it was at the bookstore and there was no, mm -hmm. I know some book signings have booze, but most don't. And it was just such a fun discovery. And I have been to probably 50 book signings at book people. And it's such a fun thing to do. The other thing is I've been trying to get Kathy Valentine on this podcast for a very long time. So. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I have. I have. But she's a busy woman right now with her book out. So I'm still, I'm being patient. I'm being patient. But that is very exciting. I'm thrilled. I love her book. Oh my God. I thought it would be great. It is amazing. It's uh, such yes. a good, it's such a good piece of writing. Yeah. Yeah, she is an, um, she's an incredible woman and, um, ah, that's so fun. Oh my goodness. Four amazing women on a zoom call. That's, I love it. Well, and, and then is the book like, is it a hardback book or is it paperback, Kindle, it audio? It is the like most beautiful hardback. hardback. Um, and we'll have to get you a copy. It, we just got them ourselves. Um, and they are, it's called, it's what it's called paper overboard so it doesn't have a dust jacket the cover itself is the cover and it's soft what is what did oh. our editor call it jardine soft matte or something yeah it's oh a, my it's, gosh it's, it's gorgeous beautiful job yeah yes oh how fun and the imagery is already beautiful oh that is so and it will be it will be available on audible too um two women directed it and wrote and spoke it so that'll be I think amazing. And then I think it will be available on Kindle. Um, as the well. book itself is, it's really a work yeah, of art. They did a fantastic job. Yeah. Well, right. So I got to read the, the galley and it was obviously digital, but I will definitely, I can't wait to get my hands on the real thing. 
because I think it'll be something that I'll go back to over and over. I just can't wait until you guys get to read this book. It's, it's wonderful. Um, Thank you. I loved it. I love it so so much. much. Yeah. We're going to be talking about it for a long time. So, okay. So this is a part of the show where we ask our guests to share three things in their unruffled toolbox. And these are things that keep you calm, less agitated, unruffled, if you will. They can be related to recovery or creativity or being a lush or being a lush in quarantine. What do you, (laughs) what do you have? (laughs) Well, I will start um, and I'm going to say things right from the book. Good. Yes. One tool I have been using, even though it's summer in Texas, is the adult snow day. So what the adult snow day means is that you are allowed, and you don't have to have a hangover for this, you are allowed to just say, I'm taking today off, I'm getting back into bed with a bag of chocolate chips or a beautiful scented candle lit by my bedside, and I'm done. And we remembered those days in our childhood when I'm, we both grew up in New York and you'd see the snow start to fall and wait by the phone, hoping that your principal would call and say, it's a snow day, stop all your work, stop getting ready, you're allowed to take it off. And, and especially in quarantine, this has been something I've just, I, I took one yesterday. I was totally overwhelmed and exhausted. I needed to figure out a million things and do a million things, but... I heard that voice in my head saying, you need a snow day. And I spent the day reading an incredible thriller called A Good Marriage um, in bed and eating caramel corn. That was my snow day. (laughs) I love this. So (laughs) um, another, I already mentioned The Vanish, which is a big tool of mine, um, which enables me to go to anything to now attend any Zoom party, any real life party, any event, knowing that at any time I'm allowed to walk out with no excuses and go home and get in a bubble bath. So that's a big one for me. And then Listen Up. Um, We write about the ability to hear the inner voice that tells you what you need to do um, and the need to listen to that voice, even when it makes things very uncomfortable for your family, uncomfortable for yourself, uncomfortable for who you want to be. You know, you want to be that mom who's going to cook a gourmet dinner or that glamorous person who's going to show up to a book event. Um, But I now realize that to stay sober, I need to listen to that voice and nine times out of 10, do what it tells me to do. Mm, those are good. Jardine, what do you have? Oh, um, I think the chapter, there's a whole section called Divine Transgressions that was really important to me in the book because a lot of sobriety was, for me, untangling, like what am I so obsessed with and afraid of losing? And and I've mentioned it a couple times, but part of it was being able to transcend an ordinary day. And Um, So doing this kind of, Amanda and I call it detective work to figure out like, was, was being subversive really about, was that, was it really a hundred percent just drinking and doing drugs or was it something that had a much greater meaning in my life? And once I kind of forensically figured out what that meant, I could let go of the drinking life and kind of embrace what we call divine transgressions and ways of being subversive and transcending um, in different ways. So, so I would say a kind of like forensic look into all the different things that 
we're attached to is is really powerful. Oh, I love um, that one. That's a good one. Like the true real thing you were trying to get to. Yeah. What was the, what's the, at the heart of it, you know, it becomes all braided into these other things. What's at the heart of it? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, for my second, I would say this poetry anthology that I've relied on for decades now, it's called Staying Alive. It's the editor is Neil Astley. And it's just this gorgeous anthology that he's kind of brilliantly curated of, Auden and Maya Angelou and um, Louise Gluck, just great poets. Um, that's always food for my soul. Oh, Without that. being sentimental, it's very, it's very real and beautiful. Um, and then I also rely on things like, to mention it for the 20th time, honey. <laughs> but honey and incense and um, going out and ravaging Los Angeles parking lots for some flowers, just like, to bring home as a bouquet, just, just focusing on the sensory, the little tiny things that I can bring into my daily life that um, will please the senses. That, that is usually very grounding and uplifting to me. Mm, I love that. And I love how many times you do mention those things in the book, incense and flowers and music and just, yeah, just that's the sweet, the sweet nectar. That's it. The nectar, yes, definitely. Mm. Well, ladies, I really, really love that you came on the podcast today. Again, I know our listeners are going to love your book. And um, we will support you 100%. So um, just thank you so much for writing it and for coming on and talking about it today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for this amazing conversation. Pleasure. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.